A good evening and a warm welcome to all witches, weirdos, goblins and ghouls. You are listening to the London Horror Society podcast. This is the podcast where we chat to people working across the genre, whether they be established or emerging, in front of or behind the camera, from first assistant director to final girl. Without any further ado, grab yourself a glass of Chianti, sit back, relax, enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, for a very special bonus episode of the London Horror Society podcast. Uh, in this episode, we're speaking with the filmmakers of Heebie-Jeebie TV. Uh, fun fact, this is actually the first ever episode that we had recorded for this podcast all the way back in December 2022. Um, at that time, uh, Heebie-Jeebie TV was kind of doing the rounds um, on the festival circuit, getting loads of really, really good reviews, and I was really happy when... Um, when the filmmakers said that they would be up for joining us for a chat. Uh, so why is it coming out now? Well, basically, they have um, been in the process of arranging distribution, which they now have, which is excellent news, because uh, it's a really great film, and I think um, it deserves a wider audience. Uh, but we also just thought it would make more sense to kind of sit on the uh, podcast episode for the time being. Um, but now, here we are. Just before we jump in, uh, you might have noticed that the intro music is ever so slightly different and quite a lot better than the one that we've had before. Reason being, um, all of my project files <laughs> are on a hard drive somewhere um, and I'm not 100% sure where they are located, having not recorded a podcast episode for a little while. So we're just kind of switching things up a little bit. Uh, the music is um, written, produced, recorded, released by Carl Casey of White Bat Audio. And what they do is essentially uh, they make loads of excellent music and release it totally royalty free. So you can use it in your short film. You can use it on a Twitch stream. You can use it um, pretty much wherever you want. I think the only real caveats are that um, you can't record vocals over it. You can't remix it. Uh, you can't release it as part of an original soundtrack or anything like that, which I think is fair. Um, you know, this is not sponsored by White Bat Audio, but it is an amazing resource if you're looking for some music for your short film. Or if you just want to listen to some really good kind of horror, cinematic, um, you know, cyberpunky, synthwavy kind of stuff. It's uh, it's just really good. I listen to it while I'm writing. Kind of helps me get in that uh, that headspace. Um, so yeah, there's a link in the description down below. Um, so yeah, feel free to check that out as well. Um, one other thing is we are a few days away from the 666 Challenge screening. That's going to be at the Genesis Cinema, Saturday 29th of July, 5.30pm. Uh, there is a link to buy tickets down below. Um, I would move quickly because I think we're kind of moving towards the last maybe 20 or 30. Um, it's going to be a really, really good evening. Uh, we can't wait to show you all of these films. Can't wait to hang out with the filmmakers and get to know everybody a little bit more. Um, and also Genesis is just a really, really lovely cinema. So it feels like a real privilege to be able to show uh, the films from this uh, from this project uh, over there. Uh, one thing that we're going to be doing as well is we've got um, a couple of limited edition posters that we're going to be giving away. Um, going to be doing some awards. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be a really, really nice time. So come and spend a summer's day in the dark <laughs> with us. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty much it from me at the moment. Knowing me, I will remember something as soon as I've published this podcast that I was supposed to do or say. But, you know, that's what our social media is for. So you can follow all of that down below as well. Um, and yeah, we've got a few other things kind of coming up in the next, I would say for the rest of this year. Um, so you might be thinking, where is season two? Why haven't you been doing the podcast? Ultimately, 666 took up uh, loads and loads of our time. Um, and we kind of really wanted to give it everything that we had. Um, I don't know if there's any Parks and Rec fans uh, listening, but there's uh, one of my favorite lines from that show is, uh, don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. So that's what we decided to do. We decided to whole-ass the 666 Short Film Challenge. Um, we have a couple of things coming up with LHS Pro. If you're not currently a member, you can hit another one of the links below. Um, have a little bit of, re of a read on the uh, kind of benefits and everything that you get out of it. Um, my favorite thing being the Discord where I can kind of chat to other filmmakers and share filmmaking advice and watch other everybody else's short films. It's a really supportive environment. So 
yeah, even if you don't want to become a pro paid member, that's totally fine. There's other memberships on the website that you can have a look at as well. You can sign up to our creator newsletter. You can sign up to our film fan newsletter. Uh, loads of really good information in there. But uh, yeah, anyway, that's enough waffling out of me. Uh, welcome back. We will keep you posted on season two. But in the meantime, here is our episode with the filmmakers of Heebie TV. Hi guys, thanks very much for joining me. Um, firstly, I just want to say congratulations on the film because it is such a good time. I watched it last night and it's like a perfect Friday night popcorn kind of film. Um, it's clearly made with a lot of love for the genre um, that just comes through in pretty much every frame of the film. Um, so with that, could you just go into a little bit of detail about your background and how you got into horror? Um it was probably video stores, um, trips to the video store with my parents when I was young. And uh, I was always allowed to look at the boxes of VHS tapes, but wasn't allowed to rent them. So I think that sort of started my unhealthy obsession with something that I couldn't have that I wanted very badly. And then eventually on my, my 13th birthday, I was allowed to rent some of these tapes. And I think I started off with Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. And I think I, I rented them over and over and over again. I returned them late. And uh, yeah, that's, that's probably where it all started for me. Then once I became aware that those films were made in Romero country, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is about... We're, know, about, we're in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah, we're close. We're on the outskirts of Romero country. So that, that registered even more that as I got older that, oh, they, they actually made these films here that kind of were my, my gateway into everything horror into punk rock, skateboarding, subculture type of stuff. So yeah, probably the, the video store um, in Willow Street, Pennsylvania. Nice. So Tom Savini's from Pennsylvania as well. Is yeah, that right? He's from Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, Hollywood's over. Euro. I mean, it's all at Pittsburgh, uh, like Pennsylvania's been the horror place. So I did wonder kind of where that um, Night of the Living Dead uh, clip from the graveyard and the references in the uh, call center were coming from. So that's that question answered now. So th thanks, Adam. Uh, Eric, how about you? Yeah, for me, um, the according to my mom, the first horror movie I ever, well, horror movie I ever watched was Young Frankenstein. I was two, apparently. Um, so that was like my my introduction to... I mean, horror comedy and horror in general. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with that movie, watched it all the time as a kid. Um, and that led to uh, me exploring, you know, finding out and exploring more of like the Universal Monster side. And then I was a spoiled kid. I'm similar to Adam, but different. I went to the video store a lot as a kid, but I was allowed to rent all this stuff because I, I was with my grandparents when I was younger. You know, all my parents were at work and stuff. So I remember I was renting, I was renting stuff that I should not have been renting between like sure. four and eight. I remember... Hack-a-Lantern was was one that like really burned into my mind uh just like trash slasher boobs and blood you know at a very young age but I don't know I just I always had that like fascination with just like monsters and the macabre and the morbid and, um I think around like the time of my developmental years the Todd McFarlane monster action figures and play sets were coming out a lot and I had like all of those um and yeah I think it was I'm trying to think if it was how old I was but there was um an AMC, I think it was like an AMC 100, it was top 100 scariest movie moments of all time. I remember Shudder just did uh, 101 mm. scariest moments of all time. They had to top AMC and do 101, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I watched that and that kind of turned, that showed me like the whole like universe and just like opened the doors like, wow, there's so much more out there than I knew of. And it's like, that's how I found out about Dario Argento. That's how I got more versed in like the, you know, like the, the Romero stuff and zombie stuff, like just kind of like, that was my like foundation for the classics. Um, and then from there, it was just, I don't know, it's just always been an obsession, um, just like the dark, weird stuff. And yeah, I don't know, mm. I just kind of went from there. Now here I am making movies. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Because like you kind of, I think a lot of people see the surface level of horror, like I did, you know, similar kind of thing to uh, to yourselves. And then when you kind of just scratch beneath the surface, you kind of see that it's just this much wider massive thing to the point where it kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I know that I'm not going to be able to see every single film that I want to be able, that I want to watch you know 
Um, I, but I think too, there was a point where like I, I, I was fortunate, or like we were fortunate, like the late 90s had a lot of spooky television. There was, there was like, a, for some reason, it was just like, there's commercials, there's a lot of shows. I remember the new Adams Family was one that I watched all the mm -hmm. time, Big Wolf on Campus, there's X-Files, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It seemed like that whole era that was in my developmental year was really focused on mm. like spooky stuff. And I think that helped a lot. Yeah. So I, I had a similar thing. So I was chatting to Chris, uh, co-producer on this, and he kind of had an experience like very early on of watching a really scary film. But I was more kind of goosebumps. Uh, Are you afraid of the dark and stuff when I was yeah. when I was younger? That kind of gr I didn't realize was kind of uh, grooming me into horror, you know. Um, uh, Jake, how about how about you? Is it was it a similar thing for you or a kind of different route into horror? Yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm a bit of a late bloomer into horror in that, like, I think I stayed more into the spooky television more. Mm -hmm. And for me, like, the, the root of my love for horror is in Halloween first. Um, and again, like, a lot of children's television, right? And just pretty much consuming that from a young age. I'm, again, like, I'm in the Addams Family Casper realm of uh, campy horror. And that's just kind of what I enjoy because I think it, it, the root of it for me is the love of Halloween, just being a little gay boy getting dressed up from a young age and being able to do, pretty much do that still into my late 20s. Uh, but right. yeah, I, I think I started to actually get into formal horror, I would say, into high school. Uh, would probably be when I was getting my, I had an uncle that passed and he was a huge horror fanatic and he loved painting um, like a lot of like figures and he would paint like pumpkin head and just a lot of the alien figurines. So when he passed, I had boxes of just horror sci-fi and um, in all the Chucky films. So it was like, that was a kind of the next step for me into horror, but I still like to play in the, the, the childlike uh, aspect of horror, which is like, it's just spooky what led you into filmmaking um particularly horror filmmaking who started it? yeah i would say this for me i my roots are kind of in theater so i i've always been a theater kid growing up i was doing theater camp um took a bit of a break and i came back to it i would say in college um so mm -hmm. a lot of my filmmaking actually just came from taking things from a live stage and just being I don't know, let's, let's try recording it. So a lot of my roots in filmmaking come from theater first. For me, I, I went, uh, I, I think I always wanted to do filmmaking. I think when I, when I was younger, I, think, I mean, I, I was just raised on movies and TV, so that was always something there. Um, I was always really interested in like music and art, just always like creative things are the things that occupied my time. Um, for a time, it was a lot of music. And then I went to college for graphic design. I was in like the art world there, you know, it's kind of like, learning that kind of stuff um and I think it was a class in college we had to make like a video project for like an app we were designing or something something like that mm -hmm. and it was really like the first time I was using a camera and like actually like planning out shots and stuff and I, and I just remember that whole process being a lot of fun and I, and I realized like I've slowly been like attaining the skills of a filmmaker through all this other stuff and now I just need to mm -hmm. like put myself behind a camera and figure it out um and I started yeah. taking animation classes in college and like that kind of like led to that too and it just it took over my career. I was like, I love doing video. I love editing. I love shooting. I love planning this stuff out. And I'm just going to focus on that and just forget about everything else. And that's what I did. I left college and got my first job as like a, a PA at a studio down here. Um, and then from there, it was just freelance stuff. And then eventually made my own company with my, uh, my partner, Casey. Um, and we've been doing that for four years now. And so it was just kind of like, yeah, it was just kind of like every, all the pieces kind of fell in, in, into place. And then when I met yeah. you guys, it was like, that was the, that was the final thing I needed. You know? Yeah, I, I find with a lot of filmmakers that it's not so much a decision to get into it. It's more of a realization, if that makes sense. Like, totally. it sounds like that was the case for you. Um, Adam, is, is it a similar thing for yourself or a different route in? Um, my parents gifted me the Tyco video camera uh, when I was a kid at either a birthday or Christmas. And probably around age eight or nine, I started filming myself and my friends uh, crashing our bikes into trash cans and doing the jackass type of stuff. Yeah. It was a camcorder that actually connected to your VCR and recorded on um, a VHS tape. So you were limited to how far you could take it away from <laughs> your television set. Yeah. So I think those limitations sparked even more creativity in me. And I, I started messing around with object manipulation and stop motion with action figures. I was heavily inspired by Nickelodeon, 
early MTV, um, that show Kablam and Action League Now. Um, so it, it started off um, as a, a gift for my parents. And I think animation and the hands-on practical sense of it is what really ignited me to get into stop motion animation, special effects, you know, elaborate Halloween costumes, all, all that shit. Mm -hmm. So um, thanks mom and dad. Yeah, it, it started with a Christmas gift. Shout out to Kablam, dude. Kablam. That show, that show needed to come back. That show was great. Absolutely. Yeah, big shout out to uh, Adam's mom and dad. That's uh, that's great. Um, so I'm just going to jump in some questions about uh, about the film itself. So I learned uh, two things about myself when I watched TV. TV. Um, I now want to start every conversation with "Hello, fuck you," um, and I don't think I ever want to eat hot dogs again. Uh, but uh, those are just two of many like memorable moments throughout the film. Um, I'm really curious as to how the film came about and what the writing process was like. What writing process? <laughs> um, the, the, the filmmaking process was, I would say, if we were to take a step back and, and reflect a bit, messy, um, very mm. guerrilla, chaotic, chaotic, stupid, um, backwards. Yeah, um, constantly having to redo things, going back a year later and fixing things. Um, yeah, it was, but at the same time, it was so fun. It was so, um, and I think you said this earlier it's so full of joy too and that was a big part of it too there was just a lot of fun doing it because we filmed um throughout covid so it was initially supposed to be kind of a halloween party and showcasing some short films some live segments but due to covid it kind of just full tilt into filmmaking um, and recording shorts um for a year and then the second year we were kind of like oh we should kind of tie these shorts into a, a cooler story um and that's kind of when we did more of the purple guy stuff and beefed it up a little bit more i think we filmed um like cbc and some other pieces uh throughout the second year and then yeah that's kind of how it, it, it got its legs it, it was kind of a loose assimilation of things that we had to go back and and like reverse engineer into a movie yeah so it was yeah like everything that jake said it was just it was a, it was stupid it was uh masochistic um <laughs> but uh it was worthwhile yeah i mean i think it was just it, it was just kind of taking all these ideas that we thought would be cool and seeing how we can make them work together and like to see if like all these kind of things that are in our heads can can like make some sort of you know self-propelling machine you know yeah that's really interesting because i part of me did wonder whether it was a case of um you know maybe having the uh the midnight snacker the midnight is that is that the night, segment the midnight, midnight snacker market. yeah um and whether it was kind of uh, you know, just different segments, and then you went, oh, there's actually something bigger here, or whether the kind of heebie-jeebie TV concept came first, and then you uh, write the segments around that. Mm -hmm. um, so that leads me into a, a question quite uh, nicely. Like, each segment really seems to have its own style in terms of, like, lighting, music, ca and camera placement as well, um, but they all go together really, really well without making the film feel disjointed or like a bunch of a bunch of separate uh, sequences just stuck together. Um, was there a bit of a balancing act in piecing all of that together um, just to make sure that it all kind of worked like cohesively? Yeah, totally. I think because uh, the whole the whole thing we were doing was pulling from television tropes. Right. And it was kind of like regardless of, of like decade that it would have been in just kind of pulling these things that like what, what would no matter when if you turned on television at night like what would you see um and i think early on in the process like with like the first cut of the film as far as like the editing and like the the aesthetic goes i think i went a little too hard on like making it look like oh this was on tv you know like oh we're mm -hmm. great and static and all, all this mm -hmm. stuff so it was like went all the way at first and then had to pull back to kind of create um a more consistent aesthetic across mm -hmm. the movie um, and then another big part of that was audio too. There was a lot, a lot of, um, me and our audio mixer, Jeff, um, we, we went back and forth a lot on like finding that balance of like, do we want this, you know, there was a, like the Gunther single, for example, we recorded that on cassette and brought it back in because we wanted that like actual analog sound to it. So like we sure. did all that, just like little things to kind of like, not like punch you in the face that like, oh, this is an old commercial. Just like kind of get you in that like vibe mm -hmm. so that you're, you're not yeah. pulled out between segments, like you said. So yeah, it was, yeah. It was definitely a big balancing act. There's a lot of trial and error mm. and like trying things, seeing what works and then pulling back. Sure. Yeah. Kind of more like uh, salt and pepper rather than chili powder kind of yeah. thing, you know, like uh, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of seasoning. Mm -hmm. um, 
So with, with that, were the three of you directing all at once or did you kind of divide and conquer on the sequences and kind of each of you had your own uh, kind of smaller segment to kind of get over the line and then bring into the film? A little bit of both, yeah. I'd say our, our heads were in everything together. We wrote things mm -hmm. together. We were all on set at the same time together. But I think we all complement each other's strengths and weaknesses in a really great way that, you know, we knew what to push forward, what was our special project, you know, how we wanted it to look. But then we also had a lot of grace for allowing these other inputs in that are usually better than mine. So um, it, it, it was a push and pull and give and take. But I think at the end of the day, each one of us knew which one was a little bit more ours than someone else's and and we owned it and it it seems to work out in a, a situation like this and this type of partnership yeah i mean wh whatever you guys were doing it was working yeah. um because the film came out really really well i mean it's not uncommon to see two directors um you know on a project but i don't, i don't know if i've seen a film with three directors before um so yeah that's that's really interesting and it's amazing that it's just worked out as well as it has and that you're all you know still friends we're uh, gonna have a director <laughs> for the next one yeah don't worry we, we like challenging ourselves but yeah i think what adam said i think definitely there's there's themes and and, and stories that definitely like it's like for eric is on demand you know adam's night snacker but obviously monster all, girls jake's child you yeah. know we all mm -hmm. kind of have our projects in which we push forward but everyone's fingerprints is on everything I think, sure. I think what it comes down to too is like because it was really just us making like we're the, the directors but we're also like the camera art and editing mm -hmm. and post and all we're, we're all the departments basically yeah yeah, yeah. Like, craft services so it's like they're, they're just they're needed to be three of us directing because it's like Jake's on screen most of the time. Adam's handling, sure. handling practical effects for a lot of stuff too. So there's like there's a lot of stuff where we kind of had to swap hats just really seamlessly and interchangeably just to keep things going. Um, yeah, it was really necessity based on the restrictions that we had. Yeah, I, I was going to ask like, were there any challenges for yourself like DOPing and directing at the same time? Not really, just because for a lot of the stuff it was like. You know, tried to plan out the shots and stuff in a way that was easy and that we'd be able to get everything that we needed to do without mm -hmm. like hurting ourselves you know um so a lot of the stuff a lot of the stuff is locked camera on green screen you know a lot of stuff is like emulating a studio broadcast kind of look so we only have like a couple angles to go between um so in that sense it's kind of easy on the bigger things like on demand and like the purple guy stuff is a little was a little mm -hmm. different um we had some help with, uh, I have this camera operator that we work with. Sometimes he came in and helped out with some of that stuff. Um, just kind of like free up some hands and all. But yeah, I wouldn't say it was that challenging just because I, I think we all had it in our heads what we wanted it to look like, even if we, mm -hmm. even if we didn't know it or say it out loud. Um, so sure. Yeah. So I, I imagine with a film like this, like prep is key. Um, we sure. did a lot of prep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the, what was your pre-production process like? Um, I would say very step by step. Um, I mm -hmm. think it was very short by short as in, in that, like we had a long list, I would say each year of like ideas and, and semi scripts and treatments that we kind of had on the list. Um, and pretty much whatever one kind of fizzled to the top first in terms of, Oh, Adam got the puppets done. Okay. Let's push that forward. Or, okay. Oh, this actor's available this time. Okay. The script's ready. Let's do this now. Um, oh, the slate location will be available first. Okay, let's get that done. So the, the pre was pretty much just based upon resources and which scripts seemed the most ready at the time. And whenever our weekend was really free to kind of just do it. Sure. Okay, so you, you were shooting this in kind of like smaller, smaller chunks rather than, you know, kind of having everything in one big block or a couple of different blocks. Like from from start to finish, how what kind of time frame are we looking at roughly? Like, from you know pre-production up to delivery, how long how long did you work on this for? Well, the, I think the exact the 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 exact number would be like February 2020 to January 2022. I think we had there was some like audio remixing we had to do. We got that very beginning of this year before we sent it out to festivals and stuff. Mm. So uh, yeah, so almost two years on the button. Wow. Well, wow, that's great. Um, and they, the, the years were punctuated by our annual Halloween party that we host in our town, aka right. our screenings. So we had the first inception of the film, which is what we called the quarantine cut, which is what we were able to shoot from February through quarantine until Halloween of that year, which we had an outdoor event and screened 
the much shorter um, stripped down version of the film, which is when we realized, hey, I think we have something with this, and then revamped the entire film that second year afterwards. Yeah, so yeah, to go back to your answer about your question about pre-production, it was unending yeah, and continued yeah. up until up until the final delivery. Oh man! Yeah, <laughs> we made the film backwards essentially. We really did. The next project, we're very excited to have a period of pre and pre-production. Yeah, sure. That was yeah, no, that thing. that makes sense. I mean, is that is that stressful? Kind of like just constantly being in that state of you know spinning plates and calls emails making sure this person's there on time and we've got this on time and yeah. is that kind of i, I imagine it is. works it's a miracle we're upright right now yeah. <laughs> we, we thrive on chaos to some extent though we, we've always kept it loose yeah i think for me the theater background like that's my natural habitat like people running around oh crap this actor's you know uh, 30 minutes late you have to go on in 15 minutes type of thing like oh this is going wrong like that that pressure and that kind of just work ethic is kind of just it just works for me um but obviously i think yeah i think we're also very excited to have formal uh pre-production as well sure i mean yeah some people thrive in that uh kind of environment and you guys clearly do uh some people not so much but yeah the, the film is i think maybe stronger for it it's just really really enjoyable to watch um i just want to ask you about some of the uh props and some of the uh set design um, what what was the design process for like uh, the heebie-jeebie TV box and things like the uh, the fluffy pillow monster with the with the teeth and all the drool? Um, well, we're sitting here in my my tattoo shop and I got uh, a package one day of uh, a set of tattoo pigment and uh, I looked at the box and I said, well, hey, I think I think we've created this concept about this pulsating cable box from hell. This looks about the size of a cable box. Let's uh, Let's cut this open and fill it with a bladder and add some liquid latex and circuits and fake blood and we're we're ready to go. Simple as that. So a lot of what you see was repurposed, if not just trash itself. That you know, with with enough liquid latex and enough uh, stupidity, you can make anything. Um, <laughs> sure. Jake helped me uh, sew the uh, the evil pillow monster and. Uh, you know, I made the palette out of a, a cardboard cereal box and liquid latex, sculpted some teeth, covered it in ultra slime, and let's let's shoot, baby. I feel like yeah. you kind of ran the ran the whole encyclopedia of like practical techniques. Like you have you have like palette you know, like Muppets and like, you know, sculpted skin thing with liquid latex and you have these like cardboard but like you you like have you have like the, the fundamentals of puppet making going on. I was watching YouTube videos throughout the entire filmmaking process just trying to figure out how to make this stuff that we had loosely written down. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sort of a a novice or a little bit newer at, you know, some of the hands on special effects. So all of this was just trial and error. And I, I think uh, the jankiness works and we, we leaned into it. I think everybody really honed in their skills at, you know, visual effects and Jake did all the, you know, the makeups and costumes. And um, so it was, it was constantly evolving. Yeah, that leads me into uh, another question. Like uh, what, what skills did the three of you pick up along the way? And were there any new skills that you had to kind of develop for the film? 100%, yeah. Um... For me, it was uh, my my like quarantine goal was to learn Blender. To learn, I, I dabbled in three. Like I've opened a three D program before, but I'd never made anything. Mm -hmm. And like as soon as I realized we were gonna have a bunch of free time, I'm like, I'm gonna learn Blender. I'm gonna figure out how to do this. And um, it turned into like it, there's so many of the sets that are just three D renders that that like I I built out now. There's like the QVC set, the newscaster set. Um, trying to think what the else. nightclub rip tickler oh yeah rip, rip tickler's nightclub the whole boners comedy, comedy basement. basement like it was just yeah <laughs> so yeah it was definitely like the biggest thing was just visual effects compositing and 3d modeling for me it was like that, that whole like thing that we just needed i wanted to learn to begin with and it's like now to get this project done i need to figure out how to do this and figure out how to do it like acceptably so that was like a big push for me a big motivator and it was just fun and it was like it was like the first time i felt like i was playing in a long time because mm -hmm. it was so new to me like it wasn't like oh i'm learning a new like i'm learning photoshop or procreate you know? sure. like, i know all that stuff kind of but, like i've never delved into the 3d world so it was just like it was a whole universal sandbox kind of thing for me to figure out figure out how to do it and how to make it look good yeah. 
How about you, Jake? Were there were there any new skills that you had to kind of pick up or? Yeah, patience. Yeah, patience. <laughs> um, keeping my fucking mouth shut sometimes. <laughs> um, well, I, I think because I have a theater background and I, I think the last thing I did in theater was I was doing like ensemble parts, but I also like directed musicals. So I, I kind of knew how to talk to each department with that experience. Like I knew how to talk to the set designers and the, and the wood builders because they're building the set and then the choreographer. So I kind of knew all of the aspects of what it took to put on production. But with theater, there's usually a script. And this was the first time that I had to like write my ideas down and actually kind of world build, which I think is the thing that I actually learned the most from was like, um, one, I, I hate text. I hate reading. I, I'm such a visually stimulated person. So like having to keep like my very visual ideas into text to be able to communicate to other people was something I've never done before. Um, and then also just creating a world and how do things interact with each other and what are people's like, you know, how do we kind of really like create a world that all of these things can fit under through a script I, that was kind of really new for me and I still kind of hate it but I'm, I'm enjoying it but, yeah. <laughs> there's so many so many debates over text in in the film between me and Jake because I love text I'm like a typography slut so we were right. really buttonheads on that throughout the whole process like finding the happy medium of like the exact sure. words yeah I mean that's another thing I wondered with there being three of you kind of how much is there you know is there a lot of like give and take uh, is there a lot of compromise in a lot of the creative decisions that you have to make to kind of get the film done or what's the what's the what's the decision making process like for something like that well Jake makes all the decisions <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can be bossy but I think a lot of the time when I I put forth ideas that I, I really try to I hate going back to my theater background but I, I like to when you're put in a position where you can see what other people are doing I like to challenge people and I like to push them and I think, I mean, ultimately we have majority vote is kind of how we ultimately rise when it comes down to it. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the things that we kind of negotiate, it's all of the understanding that we appreciate each other's art, we appreciate each other's work ethic, and we respect our, each other's ideas. It's, it really is coming down to like, how is the audience going to receive this, right? How is this going to come across? I think, and that's a big reason why I push so much is like I, I've been in theaters where I've, I've tried to land jokes on stage and it's been utterly silent, you know, or just something didn't work that I thought I had in my head um, and trying to spare other people that embarrassment because I've spent years in, in theater just like having those moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, moving on to uh, the score, which is fantastic. Um, Adam, I'm guessing you're into punk music, uh, judging by um, your film Candy Stealer. Um, which I also love, by the way. Um, could you talk me through some of the musical influences behind the score? I, I'm getting bits of the cramps, some John Carpenter vibes, maybe a little bit of Screaming Lord Such. Um, yeah, if you could kind of... Lips of blue, <laughs> eyes of red. No, you, you nailed it. I mean, I, I don't even have to say any more influences. Um, yeah, I, I think we all kind of grew up in a little bit of like a, a rock and roll background. Um, Mm -hmm. We've dabbled in, in playing in bands ourselves, so um, I think some of the the DIY sort of like "fuck you, we're gonna do this," you know, regardless of how limited it is, really shines through. Um, absolutely, Carpenter worship in a lot of the film in in the Night Snackers score, which Eric and I had a lot of fun doing. We just busted mm -hmm. out the old Yamaha synthesizer. I think one of the ones that he used for one of the original Halloween scores, mm -hmm. and just just went to town so you know between that and the jingles from commercials that were absolutely ingrained into our heads as kids you know mm -hmm. the silver shamrock uh, song from season of the witch mm -hmm. um underrated halloween film by the way yeah dramatically right. misunderstood yeah probably right. one of the best in the series um uh, uh jake did you did you work on the score as well yeah, but honestly, I'm going to pivot to Eric because literally he did so much of the music aspect of this. A lot of the things I did was just kind of like helping produce like the theme song. That's not true. You wrote, you wrote a good bit. I mean, some of it, but not the majority of it. But he really did the production end of it and made the slapping hit of Don't Touch That Dial, things like that. A lot of the things I did were like Purple Guy. You, you were more of a lyricist. Yeah, I helped write the lyrics and kind of the melodies Corn. for Candy Corn. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll pivot to Eric. Yeah, um, I think... I don't know. I didn't really think much about the music. 
I, um, I, I did a good bit of it. I mean, me and Adam worked a lot on it. I worked with our, like the actual composer that we use to like do the actual like film scores parts during like the, like the purple guy section. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was just kind of like finding out what the piece needs, you know, it was like, uh, Gunther's has an obvious aesthetic that just kind of popped in my head one day and we just figured it out. Um, trying to think what else blood channel was another thing that just like popped in my head. I was just like, just like humming it to myself. And then I just did it up in Reaper and you know, we, we had it, you know, it was like, mm -hmm. there wasn't too much thought. The only thing don't touch that dial was a, like a piece that I, I really wanted to put in there because I watched the, uh, it was, it's at the end of the nightmare VHS board game tape. There's like a, a nightmare rap dance. It's super like 1992, just mm -hmm. like people doing like hip hop dancing and there's like carnival rides and stuff. And it's just like, this insane like it, it was really just like that was like the most ins inspirational outside piece of media that i brought into this project was just that little the nightmare vhs tape rap um and it just had it just had so much energy and i was like this is so cool i want to do something like that so i kind of used that to um come up with don't touch that dial in that that whole segment but yeah, it was just, it, it, again, it was just more play. It was like, I, I never touched a synthesizer from whenever, whatever year that was from, Yamaha, 1984 or whatever. And like, this thing's cool, man. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And just like, I think musically, I, I work better when there's an idea there already. So mm -hmm. Adam having like the entirety of the score for Night Smasher was just like, all right, I'm coming in, just adding some like organ and some little string bits and stuff. Sure. Because um, I, yeah, I kind of, I, I like building on top of what's already there, if that makes sense. Yeah, Eric, yeah, hundred percent. Recorded and mastered, and was the not master. Jeff McKinnon mastered. Okay, thank you, Jeff. But I did record and produce a lot. Yeah, he was the the catalyst for us being able to put our ideas to tape on on film. Was was Eric's, you know, um, background and his know how. Amazing. Um, th throughout the film, like, what kind of lessons did you learn? Not ne not necessarily about um, kind of picking up or developing new skills, but kind of just any production nuggets of you know info that you kind of had realized or learned along the way maybe like uh oh i didn't i didn't know that before or maybe that maybe that's a more efficient way of doing things or i i can go i think um going back to me being a, a, a bossy bitch um i think when we first kind of had the quarantine cut of this film i was very much of the fuck you mindset we're just put it out just get get it out to the people and and i think they were very much like let's, oh, let's submit this to film festivals and oh i don't i don't care what they think whatever what's, mm -hmm. what's a fucking film festival i had really no idea even what like a laurel was to be honest i was just kind of like rolling with it and then we started submitting uh the monster girl short to festivals and that started to get some traction and then i kind of understood um really the 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 indie film industry um and just like the whole that whole world was completely new to me um so i think for me it was just understanding like how it yeah you can make a fun product but also like the sharing of it was kind of something completely new to me and also i actually really enjoy now um but yeah i was like fuck it just put it out on i don't care we'll put it up somewhere just people need to see this but i think um that was completely something i just really had no idea and, and now i kind of really enjoy the networking and, and the sharing it with an audience and, and in the industry and meeting other filmmakers too. Like that has been uh, something that I enjoyed that was kind of new. Mm -hmm. So have, have you sat in uh, with audiences while it's been screened? Like, and what, what was the reaction like? Crickets. Yeah. Crickets. I silence. Yeah. silence. <laughs> no. Um, no, you know, it's really fun. And I think this also ties into just like why people enjoy this for different reasons. And I think that's kind of the secret ingredient of this is that, the things that my mom like are, are, are different than what my friends like in this movie. Like my mom does not like Monster Girl, but she loves Purple Guy. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, a lot of people love Monster Girl. Um, so it, it, it's it's fun to see how people uh, or when people react and what they enjoy because it's different each time. You know, some people mm -hmm. really tackle at one thing, and then we go to the West Coast and do something, and it's and you know oh, that scene just kind of gets glossed over. So um, that's the fun part. Uh, for me, it's just to see where people laugh. They they do occasionally laugh, but when they do, it's it's sometimes at different points, which I find fun. Yeah, that's really it's interesting. Regional regional humor is is a thing that I've learned. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like a completely mm -hmm. different experience on the East Coast of the U.S. versus the West Coast. Um, 
and yeah, and people laugh. People laugh a lot. It, that's like the the best feeling is like we write a joke and then somebody laughs at it, like a good belly laugh. We get a lot of good belly laughs in our extreme. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, that's rewarding. I will say, like, if I, I I watch the film on my own, and normally if I watch anything comedic on my own, I'll I'll find it funny, but I won't laugh out loud or do a belly laugh. But I did find myself laughing out loud a couple of times last night, which I think is like a, a, is a testament to the comedy of it. Um, yeah, there were some really, really great moments in it. Um, one thing that I wanted to ask, um, have you guys ever been given any like particularly useful advice or any advice that is terrible that you wouldn't pass on to anybody else with, for, for filmmaking? We've got no advice really throughout this process at all. Um, usually us just trying to give each other advice. I think really um, most of it happened after the fact, uh, like just from the networking we made from film festivals and just getting some feedback from there. Um, oh, I also saw John Water this, this year um, at one of our theaters about an hour away. And I asked him just like his advice on filmmaking. He gave some great um, ones of just like get your music under control because you'll have to pay for music rights um, and uh, if you're going to make a short film make it short I don't like watching long um, <laughs> so this was his two pieces of advice um, that I, I, I kind of enjoyed but I really know we were kind of just flying by the seat of our pants for the entire production so um, mm -hmm. no no mentors whatsoever other than YouTube <laughs> is, that, is that the same for yourselves uh, Eric and Adam? Honestly yeah yeah it was just, yeah. And um, just, uh, I've got just a question on the budget. Cause I mean, with the production process being over the course of two, just under two years, like how did you guys raise any funds throughout that at all? Or was it all kind of self-funded? All self-funded. Yeah, all we just drained our bank accounts. It's mm -hmm. easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that makes total sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what, what would you say to somebody who wanted to make their first film, either a short or a feature? Like what advice would you pass on or just any nuggets of wisdom? They're going to make their first thing. I would say my, my biggest thing is get the ideas out without any restrictions. Don't think about how you're going to do it, where, when, with who. Get the idea out first. Get the idea out on paper to the point where you're like, that's awesome. Get a couple of them out and then look and see logistically, like, what do you do? This one I could do in one room with one person and it's a really good idea and I can get that out and do that, no problem. It's like, and you know, kind of like just get all the ideas out because they're going to get lost if you don't. And you're not, you're, you know, even once you get it out, it has the capacity to grow too, even like without your own kind of effort. So just get it out, figure it out. And then once you have the ideas, start worrying about which one's going to be the easiest. Um, don't, yeah, because I, I think that was that was a problem with me. It's like early on when I was like making shorts in, in college and stuff, it's just like, oh, I'm going to write this idea. Oh, I'm going to figure out how to do it right now. And then I get into a rabbit hole of like, oh, we need to do this, 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 and this. And then I'm already off track of like what I was even thinking of. Mm -hmm. So yeah, kind of just like that self-discipline of like having a process so that you don't screw yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Adam, how about you? After that process is done that Eric mentioned, um, don't be afraid to be like water, be like liquid and, and just, and just go through it. Um, if, if you need to pivot, if things need to change, you can, you can do that on the fly. I think, um, expect the worst and hope for the best and be flexible. Um, if you are close proximity to a college with a theater department, it might be a good idea to put up some flyers or, or put your face around and see if you can uh, find any friends and, and allies that would be interested in your project. Um, we used a lot of our friends that were just willing to do it for us, but we've also got some, some really brilliant uh, actors in this film. So we were very lucky to, to find them. And to bounce off that, don't be afraid to ask people. I think you'll, I think there's a lot of anxiety in like going to friends or relatives or whoever and just be like, hey, I'm doing this thing, will you help me out with it? I think people, if you, if you have an anxiety about that, I feel like you'll be surprised how down people are. Cause like this stuff is fun and it's not something that everybody gets to do. Mm -hmm. Like maybe even ever in their lives, you know? So like if there's someone that you feel like you want to work with, you know, that you know or whatever, just, just ask them, you know, it never hurts to ask. You know? Worst they can do is say no. Exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Um, I would say I, Personally, I don't like the term aspiring filmmaker. Just don't say aspiring. If you haven't made a film, don't, just 
just do it. I would say start with a short first um, because you will learn how to not just write something but produce something. And that's the difference, right? It's like, yeah, you can write whatever you want and be a writer. Um, but if you want to be a filmmaker, it's about producing it and writing something that you can produce. Um, I would say get your footing with a short film. It may not be your dream idea at the moment, but it will allow you to get to execute the, the larger idea that you've been sitting on for how many years. So I really mm -hmm. recommend if you can shoot a short. Um, and it also, like I said earlier about like the film festival circuit, like it's much easier to get a short uh, recognized than getting a, a feature accepted. So you also get to network through that and you get to meet other people. Um, and yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down, triple down on finding a, a good small team of people to do it with you because um, it makes it from like this looming project that you're taking on yourself to like actually being a, a sense of like um, community and fun and like just a sharing of knowledge together and pushing each other. And yeah, I think that is something that will take it from being just a, a piece of work to actually be an experience uh, mm -hmm. for you as a person as well. That's all really good advice. Yeah. Thank you guys. Um, just do it. Just do it. Just, just do the thing. Just get out there and do the thing. Um, speaking of just getting out there and doing the thing, what is the next thing that you guys are getting out there and doing? That's a great question. Thank you so much for asking that. <laughs> you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. <laughs> we, we have a lot of ideas. And I think right now it's about the thing I, I just talked about. It's just like actually making it. You know, mm -hmm. We have so many ideas. We still have leftover ideas from the movie that we haven't even touched yet. Um, so we have things, treatments written, and we also have like some more things we're sitting on, like, oh, this would be exciting to do right now. Um, I think the next immediate step is getting out this movie to the general public. Um, you know, it's really just made its film festival circuit and kind of just been a little hoity-toity getting its laurels and all that stuff. Um, but we're excited to show it to as many people as we can. So our, our goal for uh, next year is to pretty much have this baby be enjoyed by as many people as possible. Jake does an excellent pre-show to mm. some of our theatrical screenings, um, full costume and stage props um, that we're hoping, because this is such a, a party type of film, that it has life every Halloween season, whether mm -hmm. we're taking it on tour and putting on some shitty vaudeville act beforehand, um, or whether you're getting around with your friends and watching a Halloween party and yelling at the camp, you know, yelling at the screen. Um, I think we're going to follow through getting heebie-jeebie TV out to as many people as possible and then um, kind of extending the life of it while still working on some new shit. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I'm looking forward to it being out there uh, to the to a wider audience because I really want to talk to other people about it. Um, and I do think it's definitely got scope to be one of those things that do become part of people's uh, Halloween traditions and, you know, uh, kind of much more interactive live thing that you can go and see. And if you do ever get uh, get it over into the UK, because I think I heard about it through the Soho Film Festival. Um, but if you guys ever come back over here or anything like that, be sure to hit us up because we will be first in line for a ticket. Um, but that uh, brings me up to my last question. Eric, would you consider yourself a witch, a weirdo, a goblin, or a ghoul, or a mix of all of the above? I want to be, I want to be a weird ghoul. A weird ghoul, because I feel like a ghoul hides out in a hole or a cave all day, and then maybe comes out sure. later on and like wreak some havoc. Um, but for the most part, I, I think I want to hang out in my my slime patch, on, you know, under <laughs> like an old oak tree or something. Um, yeah, that's all I'm gonna. Excellent, Jake. Which weirdo, goblin, or ghoul? You know, I connect a little bit to each, right? I just want to mm. acknowledge that before I give the answer. I think what I want to do right now is say weirdo and be like, oh, that's cool. I want to be like a weird. Let's be honest here. I would be a witch. I would full be a witch. Um, the most, to me, the most iconic horror villain is the Wicked Witch of the West. I think she is mm -hmm. the most scariest villain in film um, and has impacted as many uh, fear in children's lives as much as possible. And I love Yep. The, uh, the power she has um, and people are afraid of her. So um, I fully identify as a, a, a witch. Yeah. Excellent. Adam. Every night at 2 a.m. <laughs> my eyes open. I walk down the stairs in total darkness. I open the refrigerator and I find myself 
elbow deep in a bag of shredded cheddar cheese. Total goblin tendencies. Only the light of the fridge illuminating my horrendous face. Cheese everywhere. I'm a goblin. A man after my own heart. I'm yeah. also a goblin. Goblin mode is, is the, is you, the, the you year, the year. Goblin mode. I saw. I saw that. I, I saw that and I was like, vindication, finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said, I uh, yeah shared that around and I was like, see, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, gob- goblin mode is how Can you disclose what you would be? Goblin, 100%. Yeah, yeah goblin. Okay. So I uh, basically described to Chris that a goblin would be kind of just greedy, a bit puckish, trying to get their hands on everything and um, consume everything in their path. And that's essentially me when it comes to watching films, eating foods, music. I just, I'm greedy. I've got a very short attention span, so I'll just kind of try and take from everywhere. A little bit chaotic as well. My precious. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone that plays Magic the Gathering knows a goblin, of course, directly, especially in my Well, there you go. And on that note... <laughs> huge thank you to eric jake and adam for being so generous with their time um it's been really great to kind of uh jump back into this episode and uh you know listen to that conversation again after uh, so many months you can find out more about heebie tv at one of the links below so do check that out yeah we will uh, keep you posted on season two hopefully see you at the 666 short film uh screening next week at the genesis or in the lhs pro discord or on our socials But until then, stay weird, stay spooky, keep up the good work.